You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the, I think it's the best, period. I think I think I have the best podcast on the internet, period. Uh, there's a couple other that are up there near me. Uh, it's a no doubter. It's no doubt I put out the best podcast in the hunting space, hands down, period, point blank. Uh, and a lot of people say, Dan, why are you so cocky? Well, it's I'm not cocky, I'm confident. And uh, I'm just teasing. It's not a very good podcast. I, 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 I mean, who in their right mind could put out a good quality podcast with only nine figures? There's no way. It's impossible. I mean, I, there's no way I can compete with the people out there who have 10 fingers. It's just their, you know, I, I, my 100% is their 90%. Uh, and, and so... They have 10 more percent. I mean, it's just simple math, right? They have 10 more percent than me. And so anyway, I enjoy doing this and I hope you guys enjoy it. So if you get an opportunity, go to iTunes, leave a review, a five-star review for the best nine-fingered podcast that's currently out there. I'd appreciate that. Go to Instagram, follow, you know, follow along, go to the Sportsman's Empire uh, website and check out all of the podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Empire network. Uh, We're just a group of guys who love hunting, love the outdoors and uh, are just really, really good at what we do. Uh, And uh, I mean, podcasting. And so, so I, I have been arrogant i've been confident i've been humble and i just want to say thank you so i can check off the nice box now and so i've been nice as well so uh, i really i honestly really do appreciate everybody you know following along uh with the nine finger chronicles for as long as you have man i i was looking back the other day and 2014 was the first episode I believe that I ever launched and that just blows my mind that I've been doing this for as long as I've been doing it I mean geez that's six eight I'm going on year number nine now and uh I gotta figure out what we're gonna do on year 10 to make it like a tour 10 years of 10 years of nine fingers and maybe, maybe that's what I'll do maybe I'll I'll go on a nationwide tour and get a whole bunch of people hyped up to uh, do the podcast. So there's that. Anyway, anyway, what are we doing today? We're talking about trail camera strategy uh, and, and more specifically yet, trail camera deployment strategy. 
where uh, today's guest is Josh Prophet. This dude is a hardcore public land bow hunter out of Kentucky. On top of that, the dude has like 50 trail cameras that he deploys over, like, what did he say, 10,000 acres. Uh, so he's running a lot of trail cameras. He's getting a lot of intel from those trail cameras. And we're going to talk with him today. Uh, and I'm going to share my experience as well of the best places to hang trail cameras. Uh, if you're looking for mature, mature bucks, best places to hang trail cameras. If you're looking for just sheer numbers of pictures, best place to not only find deer, but to locate other hunters as well. And, and so it's just a really cool podcast where we talk a little bit about everything in relationship to trail cameras and how we use them in our strategy to locate deer and ultimately put an arrow through them. So that's the goal of today's podcast. Uh, and you know, I feel, I kind of feel bad for the public land hunters, um, who have used trail cameras in the past in a state like, uh, Kansas, where they've recently banned trail cameras on public land. And so myself and Josh, we have this, we have this conversation like, Hey dude, what would you do if tomorrow they said no more trail cameras? period you know whether it's public or private you can't you know what would you do so we have that discussion as well and uh man it's a fun one i, I really enjoyed i haven't uh, dove into anything this deep lately and it's good to have this type of conversation this time of year because uh i mean let's let's get real it's it's getting close to to get your trail cameras back out in the woods time i've i've had a couple cell cam images come through recently with deer that are already starting to spout you know velvet nubs and uh man that just means next year's crop is growing right now so take that into consideration on top of that uh we got to do some commercials now so right out of the gate tethered if you are looking for uh, a saddle uh, or if you just want to get as low profile as possible and to get as mobile as possible you need to go check out tethered tethered is a saddle company that makes uh, saddle saddle hunting accessories climbing sticks saddle platforms everything you need and then on top of that they have a very in-depth I guess you would say uh, informational platform that allows you to watch videos, to read blog articles about how to shorten the learning curve to make you a better saddle hunter. So uh, Tethered is the most popular for a reason, so go check them out. Uh, Wasp Archery, if you are looking for, and, and, and again, my opinion, they pay me whatever, take that how you want to take it, but you know, I've been using I've been using wasp broadheads longer than I've had this podcast, and I have literally just ruined, I've destroyed uh, deer. Uh, watch them drop, you know, in sight, just amazing blood trails, uh, even on marginal shots, the damage that they cause, you know, it straight up causes deer to die. Uh, you have the best material possible, uh, and with that design, you have a broadhead that's just ultimately durable, and uh, just, it's a brick, it's the brick shit house of 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 broadheads and that's why i love it on top of that they just have amazing people who work for the company so if you're looking for uh to change a change of pace and you want a really good american most of their heads are american made broadhead wasparchery.com 20 percent discount code nfc20 nfc20 and that's going to get you uh 20 off of your wasp purchase so buy a whole bunch on top of that, Vortex Optics. And uh, again, you know, I always, 
I talk, I almost talk more about the people who work there than I do the products, but it is the people that make the products. Uh, the products are superb, but the people are superber, if that is even a word. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Vortex, man, if you're looking for, if you're looking for any optics for your firearm or for hunting, you definitely got to check these guys out. They're the gold standard when it comes to uh, outdoor optics. Uh, and uh, I'm a huge fan of the company. I'm a huge fan of the people that work there. And I'm also a huge fan of the uh, the VIP warranty. I have a pair of binoculars downstairs right now that I'm getting ready to send in because they've just been they've been worked and they've been worked for the last eight years and i want to continue to take advantage of that vip warranty i'm going to send it in they're going to fix it and then they're going to send it back to me and so i'm looking forward to that uh next on the list hunt stand you know it's that time of year where i'm just i'm, I'm really trying to figure out what the next moves are everything from next year's you know, new locations to locations that I've been scouting and hunting and e-scouting for the last 15 years. And so every year something changes and every year I try to document that on HuntStand and uh, just have as much information as possible on some of these, uh, on some of the properties. And uh, new, old, they have the functionality to help you gain as much knowledge about the land as possible. On top of that, they allow you to, um, you know, just just check out weather they have uh, a little bit of a predictive deer movement in there as well and then on top of that they have just just high quality imagery and really that it can sometimes be the uh, that can be the 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 straw that breaks the camel's back on you know e-scouting and so, so long story short, go check out huntstand.com, read up on all the functionality. And while you're there, check out the new pro whitetail platform. There's a little bit of an additional cost to sign up for that, but it's worth it. If you're a hardcore whitetail hunter, especially if you're a hardcore whitetail hunter in the months of, uh, you know, late October, early November, the, the breeding season timeframe. And there's a whole bunch of functionality around that as well. So, uh, those are the partners. We got some new partners coming in in May. We got some new partners coming in in July. I'm looking forward to sharing those with you. And uh, man, I just, I every, as long as I've been doing this, I enjoy every one of these conversations. And I hope that that comes out in the interview. I love this deer hunting thing. I love the outdoors. Um, this I'm going to share that this weekend with my daughter. I'm taking her out archer or uh, uh, shotgun youth hunting, and so I'm really looking forward to this weekend uh, getting her out and uh, trying to get her her very first turkey. So uh, there's that. Let's get into today's episode with Josh Prophet. Hopefully, you guys enjoy. Three, two. One. All right, on the phone with me again today, Mr. Josh Prophet. What's up, man? What's up, man? Sitting out here in the barber shop in the truck. Yeah. Recording this podcast. Yeah. Yes, sir. So uh, let's see here. You you made the jump full time, right? You just finished barber school, and now you're a full time barber. Correct, man. Actually, I I got a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, been doing this about a month, month and a half, and. I've had something fall into my lap that sounds a little bit too, too, too good to be true, but I've had a land management company reach out to me and give me an offer. Um, nothing set in stone yet, but actually I was in Ohio yesterday 
and I'll be in Illinois next week. And so you took you took this this land management job. It's kind of a little trial and error, but there's no contract drew up yet, but I think it's coming really soon. Wow. So wow. I probably will be barbering um uh all summer long, all spring long, and this gig only lasts from December to April. Okay. And I'm going to do it on my off days at the barber shop, so it should okay. work out good. And, and probably 20, 25 farms a year. Okay. So when you say land management, uh, a whole bunch of different things pop up. I mean, are you going to be doing the habitat improvement? You're going to be planting food plots or, or, or going to be managing trail camera data? What's the What's the deal? All the above. Okay. All the above. I won't. I wouldn't actually physically be planting the food plots or doing the timber management, but basically there would be a detailed plan where I spent a day or two on a farm, wrote out a good report, and then gave it to the landowner. I mean, yesterday I was in uh, southern Ohio, and it went great. I was only there. I was there less than three hours. The guy was super happy. There was a lot of room for improvement on his farm. I gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's interesting, man. It's I love how... You know, if you keep your options open, if you keep your options open in in this world, something and I, dude, I'm a I'm a fan and a believer in good vibes. You put the good vibes out, and uh, you know, good vibes come back to you. But this sounds like it's funny. You put all the time and energy into something, and then right away, right after you finish the barber school, it's just like, <laughs> hey, th- this is this is available too. But it sounds like you're going to be able to do both. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy, the company that reached out to me, you know, it's hard to find somebody that has a work schedule like I do because yeah. I, I make my own schedule. Yeah. Um, and I can book these farms out, you know, months in advance. Mm-hmm. So it just, I mean, it works out. It works out great. And honestly, I, I really do hope that it works out because I had, you know, I, I've worked 20 years to get to where I was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, Barbering's great. I I do. I, I I really don't mind it. It's fun. But yesterday was absolutely did not feel like work to me, <laughs> <laughs> man. And plus, I mean, what are what do guys like us dream about every single day? It's being out in the woods or going and yep, doing that, something that, deer related. That right there. Yep. Yep. That right there. Well, awesome, man. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm happy for you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it turns into something big and and you can uh, do what you love and make a little coin doing it. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. All right. So today, um, I was, I was thinking about who hunts a lot like I do and, um, the amount of trail cameras that you run, how you, how you use trail camera data to locate deer, um, and, and then make a move on them is, is similar to the way that I do it. And so today I want to uh, talk a little bit about this, uh, this casting a net strategy. And I heard it, I heard this strategy once from Bill Winky. Um, and he, when he, when he mentioned casting a wide net and, and basically what that is, is a ton of trail cameras out all over the place until you locate a, a giant or a shooter buck whatever that may be in, in, in wherever you live. And then you, you pull those trail cameras all tighter into that location to get a good idea of where this deer is, is potentially bedding, the, uh, how he's accessing you know food sources, the terrain features that he's using, and basically just 
you know, like macro adjust your trail cameras until you, till you locate them. And I don't like everybody that I talk to, I don't think enough. Well, I shouldn't say enough. I don't think people are using trail cameras to their fullest potential. Now I'm not talking about cell cams here. I'm not talking about, um, you know, being able to have instant data, uh, because it just like cell cams just make that, that easier. I'm talking about just like the overall process. So what I want to do is I kind of want to break this whole thing down and talk step-by-step through, um, you know, the, the properties that you hunt, how you approach it with, with trail cameras, and then how that ultimately leads into, you know, where you're placing your tree stands. Get into it, bro. All right. So step one, and I, I'd like to start this off on a piece of property that you've never been in before or never been on before. When you go into this piece of property, what are you looking for as far as where to deploy trail cameras? Um, three things, uh, bedding, food, and hunter access. Okay. And so break, break that down. And I want to start with hunter access. Are you like, how does hunter access play a role in where you deploy your trail cameras? And the less access you can have, definitely the better, you know, um, it definitely creates better hunter or better hunting opportunities. Yeah. But, you know, over the years, I figured out that, you know, with all the podcasts and stuff that are being done, that a lot of hunters, you know, that for whatever reason, everybody wants to be deep or far away or on the edges. And, you know, I would say eight years ago, you know, a lot of my cameras were, weren't close to the parking areas, but, you know, any, any more there, it's more of a grid pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do keep, I do keep some close to the, to the, uh, parking areas because, I mean, number one, you just, you never know, you know, you, you can assume all you want, but, you know, when you put something there that's 24-7, you know, that, that definitely puts a little information in your hip pocket. Yeah, and when you mean, do you mean just from getting pictures of other people, that kind of data, or just, you know, information for, about deer that are is just closer to the road or to the parking area? Both, okay. both. Um, typically, I mean... A, uh, a perfect scenario, an easy one to explain would be like a logging road. Right. You know, come the second week of October through the first week of November, you know, when they're really hitting them scrapes hard, you know, number one, the hunters are going to be walking down that road. And number two, the deer will, there will be scrapes all down yeah. that. Yeah. Everywhere I've hunted, there are. Yeah. Um, and so you can, you can kind of knock out the best of both worlds and, um, I see a mix of both, you know, I, I see big deer in late October on those roads in the daylight and, you know, there's sometimes there's a lot of hunters and less deer and sometimes there's more deer than there are hunters. Yeah. So when it comes to the, the, the deployment, are you trying to hide your trail cameras at all? Are you trying to put them up high? I, I know you cable lock them to the tree but every year it looks like someone messes with your trail cameras, either that's take the SD card or steal them or, or turn them 
uh, so that they're not, you know, turn them back into the tree or something like that so they're not getting any pictures? Yeah, so this year was my best year ever. I ran somewhere around 50, 60 cameras. Um, I didn't have one SD card stolen. I didn't have one camera stolen. Wow. I had two. I had two turned. Uh, one turned off a bean field just back to the timber, and I had a render, a, a cell camera turned to another tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and I typically don't hang them high, and I, and I think I'm going to start hanging them high, some of them. Yeah. Um, the reason why is because when somebody gets a picture of me, it's normally a camera that's up high. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have to lock them. Um, but another thing that I do is I hang a lot of my cameras low, like just a couple inches off the ground and you can't get away with that everywhere. I realize that because you know, the snow and the stuff, but I can, and the detection range when you do that is typically better. And I feel like a lot of the times, as long as somebody's moving quickly, um, they li- they literally look over the camera. Okay. I can see that happening. I mean, because a lot of the times when I'm walking through the woods, I'm looking ahead of me, probably waist high or higher. And I yeah, I mean, I... most most cameras are three foot off the ground, right? Right. I mean, roughly. And I mean, if you put one three inches off the ground, um, it does make it a little harder to see. Yeah, yeah. And you you mentioned the detection range. Did you did you mean that from the uh, the uh, people aren't seeing them or you're picking up more deer movement with them? Uh, more deer movement, um, you know, versus, versus hanging your camera. I feel like when you hang your camera high, it's pointed at such a tight spot. Um, and it does work, but I definitely don't get the pictures I would if I hung my camera high versus if I hung it low, if I'm going to hang my camera high, it probably needs to be on like a scrape or something. Right. Right. All right. So a little bit of that intel is for deer. A little bit of that intel is for uh, human activity. And and so let's let's say you go and you check your trail cameras or you're getting these cell cams uh, sent to your phone, um, cell cam pics sent to your phone. And there is a lot of human activity. What does that mean for you? I don't get too bent out of shape over it because this will be my 14th or 15th season on public. Yeah. Um, and it does affect the deer. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Um, but that typically all that does for me is tell me, you know, Hey, you know, this area is getting pounded out. Like maybe they know about this deer back here Mm -hmm. or two, like this is the time all the out of state hunters show up. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, those are typically the two things that, that mean for me because I've realized that the deer that I hunt on this public land they're always there. Uh, they don't ever leave. They just figure out how to move around the humans. And a lot of the times they, they do do it in the daylight. It may not quite be like they do on the, uh, on the private parcels, um, that, that are hunted less, but they, but they will move in the daylight. Okay. And so, that's kind of that that's awesome because a lot of a lot of times people are just focusing on deer movement and then they don't know what the human activity is like and a lot of the times like you just said the um the human activity impacts the deer movement and so knowing both of those things it 
I guess, would just be more pieces to the puzzle, so to speak. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah, I can give you an example of that. I had a I had a food source. It was about a mile away from the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And you could access it with a boat, but it was three quarters to a mile of a boat ride as well. Yeah. So anyway, you went to it. It was it was tougher to get to. And um, there was probably three or four acres of standing corn late season. Uh, my, my late season kind of revolved around that couple hundred acres there. Mm-hmm. And from the, the front field that connected that backfield, there was only one way to get to it other than a boat and it was just through a, a little narrow pinch between the fields that they used uh, the machinery to get through yeah and i and i knew two two things was happening number one i was going to put that camera and i put a cell camera there because i wanted to see how hard it was getting hunted i put that cell camera in that pinch and number two i figured a lot of game would be walking through there you know at least at night yep um but there was a, it was just a great little pinch. There was a pond and everything there, and it worked out great. It, it was probably 80% deer and yeah. wildlife moving through that. Um, very, very little, um, very little human intrusion. And the, to touch on that, um, the way that, that the things have changed now, I've noticed, especially on that camera, that these out-of-state hunters, because they were, they were literally planning their hunts around the weather. They were showing up on the days. The good they days. should have. Yeah. The good days. Yeah. 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 You know, they were showing up on the days that, you know, I couldn't go. And I was like, man, I wish I could be there. Yeah. And they were showing up on those types of days. Okay. Well, that tells you, I mean, in a way, it tells you what you're dealing with. Right. Because a lot of times if it's 75 degrees and some guy walks through, he may maybe he's just hardcore, but maybe he doesn't know what's going on either. And, and so, you know, um, I always like to know whether a, a guy you know, who I share a property with is a, a killer or if he's just kind of a weekend warrior <laughs> ladder stand, you know, ladder stand type guy. Right. Right. Totally right. agree. So so the um, that particular um that particular pinch point uh, had a way more uh, game activity on it, deer activity than it did humans. And so um, the next kind of question that I have here is what type of location do you, cause you know, when, when are, I'll just sh- share with you where I uh, hang my trail cameras. Um, let's say during, during season and that's in uh, pinch points, it's in travel corridors, fence crossings, you know, sometimes over scrapes, uh, like just main terrain features. Uh, staging areas uh, is, is a big a big place that I like to uh, hang cameras. Over the, all the years that you've been running trail cameras and, and your experience and just the sheer number of images that you've captured, what what location seems to be the best place to capture? I'm going to ask this in two ways. One, 
mature bucks to quantity of deer? Both of them are the same, food sources, field edges. Yeah. Now, a lot of the time, it will be night, and I go in expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, I think a deer, my personal opinion, you know, a deer's number one goal is to survive. Yeah. And number two, they got to eat. So it doesn't matter if it's public or private. <clears throat> um, I'm putting, you know, a lot, of, I always start out on the food sources. That's where I typically get all, a lot of my information at. Okay. All right. And so how then do you take that data and say, well, cause you know, I always say, um, a trail camera picture during the night is great, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me really, because I can't use 1am data to plan a you know, to plan a hunt on a big buck. I, I know he's in the area, but it, I can't use that to, to, to make a decision on where to hunt. So how do you then take that information, whether it's just a doe group or a mature buck and like reverse engineer it to get to a stand location or a, a, an ambush spot? It's, it's basically, it's just a great starting point. Yeah. Um, especially if you're getting a deer there, you know, multiple times a week, like yeah. you can assume like this is where the deer wants to be. And if I've never hunted the farm, man, we're just going back out on aerial and we're going to, we're going to look for things like thermal cover, uh, sapling thickets, uh, ridges where the sun hits it when it comes up, you know, you talk about the leeward ridges and things like that. Just, just places that they will bed that you will think they will bed. And if I'm not going to put a camera in there, I, I really will. I'll start bouncing bouncing around you know i'll go to this spot well i think the deer may be bedded here so i may be uh, 100 yards off the food 150 yards off the food on this what we would call you know a transition area Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then so so is that kind of just guessing or are you using other trail camera data to make a decision like uh, i guess i would call it maybe triangulating this particular buck's location Yes, I would use other cameras for sure. Basically, I would grid the area out with cameras. I'd zoom out, and I would look at, you know, all the points, you know, which we all typically know now, you know, like a buck could be bedded here or a buck could be bedded here. or If there's a clear cut or a sapling thicket, you know, you're going to know, well, that's, you know, that's some dense cover. There's definitely going to be deer in there. Yeah. Um, especially if it's within a quarter or half mile of a food source in late season, it may change earlier during the year, yeah. but that's how I do it. Okay. So with that, then, um, where would, where would you say is, okay. The nocturnal images on a food source are, you know, is number one. Now, if you're wanting to take it a next step further and get, killable pictures of him and i mean daylight walking images of a mature buck or the most deer does that then change yes yeah yeah so let's just say i have three cameras with me and there are going to be five places that i think the deer could bed because a lot of times it is like that you know when you're looking at a couple hundred acres um I'm going to start at the ones with my cameras that are closest to the food sources. Okay. Um, 
you know, and, and there may be some that are too close. Like there may be a point that I think the, the, the deer are bedding on. And if you walk to the edge of the field, you can literally see the point. I'll, I'll X them out because you, you're going to bump the deer before you ever get, even get to hunt him anyways. But if there is uh, a clear cut that's, that's 500 yards off of the, off of the field, I'm definitely going to get a camera 400 yards closer to it. Okay. Okay. And, and then what is the ultimate goal then with that particular camera? Are, are you then looking strictly for tree stand locations at this point or ambush spots? Yeah, just saying, but just daylight movement. Okay. Any kind of, any kind of daylight movement. Basically you're just trying to connect the dots. If you yeah. got, you know, bull, bullwinkle out here four nights out of the seven on the mm-hmm. field and he's literally showing up an hour after dark. We're just trying to find where he's walking in the daylight. Right. And how, 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 how much success have you had being able to get that next picture of them? You start off on the field edge and what I mean by that, and this is kind of what I do. I get the, I get the field edge nocturnal picture of them. And then I go, okay, I'm looking for this terrain feature. Maybe I'll throw a trail camera in this terrain feature that could potentially lead to this field, a trail camera in this next one over here, and basically just try to move back into the timber of where he's consistently coming out of. Is, is that what you're doing as well? Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. So each step seems to be getting closer to the deer's bedding area. Correct. All right. Yep. That's the good. All right. Now. How are you then doing this without, like you said earlier, bumping the deer out of the out of the bedding areas? Uh, I think I do sometimes. If yeah. you really want to know, I, I, I think I get too aggressive, or I was wrong, and the deer's somewhere else. And a lot of things that you know people don't talk about is the ground scent, man. Yeah. Especially like if you're on a food source that's that's getting pounded. Um, man, I don't know how long that ground scent will sit on there, especially if, it, if the ground's wet, but it sits on there, you know, a hot minute. Yeah. Um, so it is a lot of times it's a swing and a miss. And a lot of times I've realized, you know, especially with my cell cameras, um, I won't get the deer right off. And I, and I really think that's because he's seen me or I bumped him or he come up through there later and smelt where I walked or you know maybe something yeah. like that but as far as picking the deer up man i can almost always do it now killing them's a different right. story right you know but i can typically get daylight pictures of them you know that 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 would be my second go my third go would be to kill them um, but i can almost always get the daylight pictures of them you know the last 30 minutes of light or something gotcha okay and and so as you, you know, as you're, as you're trying to, I don't know, triangulate this, this deer's position, have you noticed, is there, is there a time frame? Like if you do, if you do bump them, how long it takes for them to recover and, and come back to some kind of consistent, uh, consistent pattern? Well, I think it's by the deer. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I've seen them show up the next day and i know i've bumped them yeah and then i've seen them where it took you know two weeks or sometimes you know not never now i still may be getting them on the field 
but they've switched something up big time to where I've really got to adjust. And sometimes I, I don't find them. Yeah. Um, if I'm being honest, I can still get them at the field and it may be later in the night, but I just, I don't know. And the thing that makes it tough is I, I really do think with everything I'm telling you, the deer on the, on the public ground move a lot further mm-hmm. than the deer on the private ground. Like I don't think a mile every night is nothing for a deer. And I can explain that. Um, we found some sheds in January and February off of a big deer, off an eight pointer, like pushing 160, mm-hmm. 70 inch side sheds, four point slit sheds. Wow. Uh, one was found right in the food source. Uh, a month later, the other one was found like 1.2 miles in the timber. <laughs> That's nuts. And you know, he, he, there's no other food source. You know what he, he was, yeah. he was just making that trip. Yeah. And that's crazy. Cause, um, that time of year, right. The, the does are bedding so much closer to, to the food source. So it, it just kind of tells you something about these, these, these older bucks that they're willing to live in places that may not be comfortable for them, but they, they'll live there to survive and traveling a mile, man, that's, that's nuts. That that's like Western whitetail type travel where they'll drop down into a river bottom, then walk a mile up through pasture to get to a pivot or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I've noticed, I've noticed some of that too, uh, not necessarily directly what you're saying, but big blocks of timber that there's no ag around this big block of timber, but there is across the road and they're traveling three quarters of a mile to a mile out of yep. this big block of timber to, you know, at dark basically. And, and I just so happened to hunt the staging area before they crossed the road, which a lot of the encounters that I had came that's where they came. That's prop that property has since been sold, but they were traveling long distances to come up to this ag and the ag was plentiful up, up top. So they were able to access that ag in several different positions or several different locations, but they were all kind of funneling through the same ridge system going back to bed every morning. And which was cool because I felt like they were staging um, in the mornings Right. Almost like they wanted to stage and wait till it got just a little bit light before they crossed the road. And then they would come back in. So it allowed me time to get back into the staging area and morning hunts. And all this was documented on on trail cameras, too. Right. I mean, it just it was this giant funnel. And so you could tell every morning at the same time, doe groups and, and bucks, the bucks came a little bit sooner. But it let me know that, hey, as things start to get closer to breeding, I'm going to be able to get in here, sit by, you know, sit on one of these doe groups and hopefully one of the big boys comes in behind them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so how much weight are you putting on that information uh, of let's just say doe groups, right? Is this something that you're, you're always thinking about? Uh, Are you, how much weight are you putting into doe groups versus mature bucks? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right October, early November, uh, putting all my weight on them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, and um, I think, you know, like what I've found is I typically don't have, if even if it's late season, I don't have, you know, four or five young bucks and 10 does on one field and then a half a mile away have one mature buck eating in a field by itself. They're typically all in the same general area and if it's not on the same field it's another field close yeah and then you may have to jump a a good ways a half a mile or more to find another group of deer like that you know as far as like late season goes yeah Yeah. and so as you start to um as you start to you know put these cameras up collect the data uh, at what point are you moving trail cameras or bringing more trail cameras into an area or moving trail cameras out of an area? Like, how do you, how do you do your, your location adjustments throughout the season? Man, I'm a little odd. I don't move a lot of cameras. I really don't because what I've learned is over the years, you know, I've, I've literally ran trail cameras since they come out Mm -hmm. i mean i've had i've had them all yep um a lot of mine stay in the same locations not all of them but a lot of them do because i've learned sometimes that i'm just wrong like i'll admit it in an area that i was thought was going to be hot in early october it may not be hot till the first weekend of january and i and and i really don't know why but that happens and i'm checking them at the earliest every two weeks okay. but it's typically like just a couple times a year yeah gotcha just because i have so i have so many and i have more time now but you know my time is limited yeah and you know when you you know the way that i run my cameras over five eight ten thousand acres like that's a lot of walking that is for sure it's a lot of walking that's a lot of walking and a lot of batteries Man, I know that's a lot of lithium. <laughs> how, how much money a year? A how much money do a year do you spend on batteries? Is it a mortgage payment? Man, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it is. It is, and the, I found the best way to buy them is at Sam's. Yeah. The yep, yeah, but it is. It's it's over a thousand, I think. Yeah, it's over a thousand. The the best part about working with Interstate Batteries is that I get the hookup for the lithium uh AA batteries and so um, there you go i uh i take advantage solid of solid mode heck yeah heck yeah all right and so um big buck on camera you get him on two maybe three what's the next i mean what's the next step look like for you how, how are you how are you f- sealing the deal we gotta we gotta we gotta start hunting man yeah. we got we we gotta hunt and, you know, I typically go into a place with, like, A, B, and C. Like, A is where I really think he is. B 
he definitely could be there. See, I don't know, but and then I will. I'll start. I'll start cutting away, and it's tough. Like it all sounds so easy when I'm just sitting here talking, but there's so many things: the wind, mm-hmm. the temperature, the hunting pressure, and so it's really hard to pinpoint and say, like, oh yeah, he's coming through here. Because honestly, it's it's just an educated guess, man. Yeah, it's just going in there. And sometimes you can go in there and you can see the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can give you an example on that. When I was hunting that food source this year, I did. I hunted a warmer day. Well, I just looked at. I didn't have very many cameras set up off the food, um, so I bounced way in the timber. I bounced three, four hundred yards off the field, and I come in a different location. Because I across this ridge or across this valley, there were some points and some thicker sapling thickets. I was like, man, one of these three bucks I'm hunting, like they got to be over here. Yeah. But dude, I was, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I seen one of the deer that day I was wanting to kill and he was coming from the field. Yeah. I mean, he come by me 80 yards, you know, he, and he wasn't going to the field that night. He was not in the daylight. Yeah. Um, and I just looked up and they were herded up, you know, four or five does and a few bucks and they, he, I literally watched him come from down the hill. And then, so then I'm like, well, the deer wasn't definitely wasn't bedded over here where I thought he was like, he was closer to the food. Mm-hmm. And I think that deer was so close then that if you didn't hunt the field edge, like you, you were going to bump him. Like yeah. if you went in the woods um and that's just a chance you take um did you ever try to get in behind all... him no yeah. I, I didn't yeah. i didn't but that's that's what i did that day i yeah. ended up behind him yeah um and if i would have hunted that field that day you know i never i never would have seen that particular deer and i just would have chalked it up as a he either didn't come here or um b he's just not going to make it in time but I don't know what they were doing. I mean, they headed into the middle of the timber okay. at, at an hour before dark. It's like, I, I I don't, they were browsing on something they had to be. Yeah. And if they went in the field, you know, I don't remember if I got pictures of that deer that night, but if they went in the field, it was like midnight. Gotcha. Gotcha. So did you then make an, uh, an adjustment off of where you saw that buck? come out i checked more cameras i checked more cameras and what did the cameras tell you that the deer was bedding further away than what i thought he was in a clear cut about three quarters of a mile away okay i was i i I had i got him several times crossing a very small food plot on public land Mm -hmm. in the morning coming back to like yes and it, it was a it was it was literally a straight clear cut and i knew deer bedded in it um, but I didn't, I wasn't for sure if they were walking that far, you know, between bed and feed, but that deer, I'm not saying he did it all the time, but, uh, several times he was because I bet he didn't go a hundred yards past my, my trail camera. My, my trail camera was literally right on the edge of the, of the clear cut. And I, I got him a bunch of times between six thirty in the morning and 8 AM, you know, broad daylight crossing a food plot and the food plot wasn't wide. He was in the open 15, 20 yards. And then he was, yeah. you know, he vanished again. Yeah. Um, 
So it just goes to tell you, like, you know, even though I've been doing this a long time and uh, I'm decent at it, like, sometimes you're just wrong. Right. A lot of times you're wrong. But it's how you use that wrong, like, how, and, and it's not like you were wrong. I, I look at it more like you made an educated guess and it wasn't the right spot. But you then knew, you, but you learned something out of that, correct? Oh, yeah, like I, I definitely, I found another, well, I knew it was a known bedding area, but I found one of that deer's bedding areas. Yeah. And I think he was going there more than than what I thought. Um, so, which means that I would have had to have really adjust, you know, I would have been bouncing off that food plot and going 400 yards down in the timber versus mm-hmm. 150. Right. And so, it, it ultimately allowed you to be more aggressive in your uh, further into the timber off the food edge, right? Or off the field edge. Yes. I mean, I'm as definitely as aggressive as they come. And I think sometimes that hurts me and sometimes that, that helps me, but you know, that's just how I am. Yeah. And so, uh, did you then make any additional moves on this, on this buck? Um, there were several deer there using that. And my my best sightings actually come from seeing him in the field, mm-hmm. just on the the better days. Okay. Um, so you I re- think I seen the deer that particular deer. Um, I seen him four times in the daylight in the in that same field, and he would never, he was never coming out in the same place. Okay. I mean, never far, you know, yeah. 200, 300 yards apart, but it was never the same place and. But it was the you same know, food source. Could, yes, same yeah. food source, same same field, same three or four acres of standing corn. But you know, the, it would literally be, and it and it goes to show you like how some deer use the wind in their advantage. Like I would be over here, and I would have if I wanted to be there, I'd have to be there because of the wind, and then the wind would change, and I would be over here, and the deer would literally walk twenty yards from the tree I was in two days ago. Yeah. Okay. And I and then I I was I was being really careful about my access and stuff like as far as my ground scent I was making big loops around and those types of things. Yeah. Okay. Where is a place uh that would maybe you you found maybe by accident over the year or let's just use the word overlooked. What's an overlooked place to hang a trail camera that people may not think about? Roads on the roads on the roads um yep i can tell you the the best way to do it is um this piece i hunted this year one side of the road was all timber the other side was a lot of ag yeah you know deer could bed either side but when we had the snow i just started paying real real close attention to how the deer were moving um and because i put so many cameras out there are a lot of cameras I put within a hundred yards of the road. There are some I put to where if you're driving down the road, you can see them. Mm-hmm. And those are definitely overlooked places. And typically a, they do not get hunted. And if the road's not traveled very much, like the deer literally use them in the daylight. Did you see uh, the match to the sheds I found from the road this year? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that was one of those places. Um, and I had a lot of, daytime deer especially in the rut and later in the year three years older older 
I was getting daylight pictures of them. My camera was 20 yards off the road. Like I didn't even shut my truck off. Yeah. I just put it in park, hop the hill, hop the fence, switch the cards. And number one, I knew, I knew what the deer, the deer were bedded over here. They were feeding over here. And two, it was, it, it was very efficient for me because mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't take, it was less than a minute to check the camera. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dude, I tell you this, man. Uh, 2018, maybe 2019. I can't remember. 17, 18, and 19. I think it was. It was three years. I chased this mammoth, this giant. Like he had like 12 inch brow tines, and he was he was probably pushing. He was probably pushing 205, 210, something like that. Just a giant, and junk all over. I've, I posted a couple pictures of him, you know, no pictures of him since, but anyway, um, this buck, I, I, it was, it was late season and there was still standing corn across the road from this big block of timber that I hunt. And I could see there was no snow, but I could see that there, there was a gate opening in, in this, uh, in this fence across. And that's where all the deer were piling in. You know, you could see where they were eating the corn uh, closest to that fence opening, and then it would get pushed back. But so I, there was a, a, a down tree, and I put a cell cam. I put a cell cam there, and sure enough, for like five days in a row, but it was all after dark. Uh, they came. He was he was coming through this gate opening, um, or well, I had the I had the camera facing towards the road on my side of the property. And then he was crossing the road into another property, into this cornfield. And I got multiple pictures of him doing that. And so I used that information to kind of find out what ridge he was using. I moved in there to try to get him. I never did because he, I, I have a feeling he was coming, he was coming from a long distance away. Uh, you know, kind of what you were saying. He was in this big block of timber. He was like several, several uh, ridges deep in this big block of timber. And then he was just traversing these ridges all the way uh, on, you know, one side of wherever the wind was blowing, he was on one side of the ridge or the other that led up to this little, this little fence gate uh, that he was in. And so I, uh, I tried, I never ran into him. Now the next year though, I had a sighting of him on the same ridge during the rut. And then that was the only time I ever saw him from the tree stand. And so I, 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 I was flexible with my trail camera locations or, or uh, fluid with them, moved them around, tried to get them. I got them, brought some more in and got another picture of them. And then I used all that information just throughout the years to create like a, 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 a shape or some kind of, I call it a core area map. And you can create those by using tons of trail camera data. And so I don't know. That's that. That was how I approached it. I never did get a, a hold of him, but I, you know, I, I could provide several examples uh, in the past of me using trail camera data to kill deer. Absolutely, and if you do run a lot of cameras like you or I, like you'll you'll realize like that some of the deer they really are different. Like mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the deer have a wider that I hunt have a wider range, like home range. Yeah. But you know, I had one four or five year old deer that was an absolute giant one time and when he was three years old i think three or four i think he was three he was all over the place mm-hmm. he was all over he was all over two thousand acres yeah and the next year when he was four or five 
dude, I couldn't get him to leave 300 acres. Right. Like, and it, that made it, it definitely made, I thought I was going to kill him. Um, and, but I just, I didn't have time. He was, he ended up crossing the line and dying during rifle season on private ground. But it just goes to show you like exactly what you talked about. Like yeah. some of them deer have, you know, big ranges. If you were to draw a circle out and some of them do have smaller ranges. Yeah. All right. So recently there was a new law passed in Kansas that said no more trail cameras on public land, period. Let's say Kentucky passes that law and says no more trail cameras, period, cell, standard, anything on, on public land. How does your approach change? Well, first off, I'm going to be pissed off and start crying. (laughs) (laughs) That would suck, man. That would suck. Oh, you got $20,000 in cameras. We're just going to leave them in the garage. <laughs> well, I mean, you at that point, you got $20,000 worth of trail cameras. It would probably be worth your while to just move to a different state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you stole the words right out of yeah. my mouth. I would be going to, I'd be going to Indiana. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's, that's where it would start. But to, re- to really answer your question, man, here's the thing. You know, I've had so many people tell me, like, dude, what are you, what are you doing out checking cameras? Like, you need, it's November or it's late October. You need to be in the stand. And I've said this on podcasts for the last five years. Like, I really do scout 75 or 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And that scouting comes when I'm checking my trail cameras. Like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I'm not just out checking trail cameras. I'm cutting ridges i'm looking for fresh that's how i find my fresh sign it's not by hanging and hunting it's by checking my trail cameras yeah bottom line um i think that i could still kill and maybe even every year but if i was to want to hunt up a a specific deer man i might as well i need a bag of magic pixie dust yeah yeah specific deer um and it's going to be hard to really hunt like a coyote, like I was, yeah. like I like to do. You know, there may be, you know, Josh Prophet hunts, like there may be a 160-inch deer over here along with a 130. And then I can go two miles down the road, and on the same amount of property, I may have five or six 130s and 140s. That's that's where I'm going to hunt. Yeah, um, I've never been a big buck hunter. I don't, I don't know that I ever will. I just always stack my odds. Yeah. Um, cause I just like shooting a good deer, a good respectable deer. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going to make it tougher, man. Like, let's just be honest. It's going to make it a lot tougher. Yeah. I feel like I would still have the, the, the same amount of success as far as killing a deer, but I'll tell you this right now, you take away my trail cameras I don't know the the top tier bucks on the farm. I'm not shooting the caliber of deer that I'm shooting now. Uh, I'm not passing 140s like anymore. You know, I'm I'm to get to a 150 or something like that, or or the top the top buck on the farm. I'm just not doing that anymore uh, because you don't know. I mean, I, I've had years where there's been uh, you know uh, five Boone and Crockett caliber deer on 500 acres. And then there's also been years where the biggest buck has been a 140 inch eight pointer on the property. He's a big body bastard, but he was 
you know, in the antler department, he was smaller. And I, I, I would have to, I'd, I'd be shooting those deer because you just can't, you don't know Absolutely. anymore. And so, uh, it just kind of lets you know that trail cameras are this, this, this luxury of sorts. And, uh, I'm just happy that I can, I can use them right now, but I don't think I would be like up that upset about it. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would be like, God, that sucks. But I don't necessarily, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily change the way I'd hunt. I actually think I would hunt more because I would have to be the trail camera. I would have to get more insight with my own eyes. It'd lead me to hunt more. It, it would lead me to bounce around to more areas more. And then almost kind of like a scout and hunt, you know, walk into the timber, look for the sign set up over top of it. And then just slowly check and cross all those spots off as opposed to checking a trail camera over a scrape or something or in a pinch point. And you're just like, well, there, obviously there's nothing here uh, that's that grabs my interest. I'm going to move to the next spot. Correct. I mean, I know, I've always ran trail cameras, but I never started run them, running them in volume until 2016. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm like you, and one thing I think that I would have to force myself to do is, is just to scout. To, yeah. You know, I would have to put it in my mind that, hey, you know, we got two days to hunt. We're going to scout both days, half a day each day. Like, um, I'm going to scout this morning, and then I'm going to hunt this evening, and then, hey, I'm either going to hunt the same spot this Sunday morning and then scout a little bit midday or something like that. I think I would have to force myself to scout because it would be, it would be hard for me to get in my mind. Like, Hey, I can't, I can't hit this 500 acres and check four or five cameras yeah. and look for fresh sign. It's, Hey, we're got, we got to go find fresh sign. Do you want to take your stand with you now? Yeah. Or do you want to come back? It would be an adjustment. And I, and I think I, I know I would be okay. Um, but it, it just wouldn't be as fun, and that's why yeah. I'm out there, man. I, yeah. You know, I'm like I said, I'm not the big buck killer, and I really do like to have fun. That whole time I was chasing, you know, bones this year, it was I was not was not having fun. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that the trail cameras do do for me. I man, I have so much fun checking them. Oh yeah, I'll tell you this, man. I got a cup. I have. I'm going turkey hunting a uh, youth season with my daughter this uh this friday and saturday and while i'm out there i'm going to be pulling all my trail cameras down uh, that i have up on on my main farm there and uh it's just to see what came through because the last time i checked them was late october and so just to see what oh, came man. what came through there throughout this past year is going to be i don't know i just love I just love doing it. I love checking trail cameras. I love looking at pictures of deer. I love, you know, where did this buck come from? Oh my God, I got him on two trail cameras now. Is he going to run the same pattern next year? Blah, blah, blah. And you just, you snowball out of control. And, and, uh, and, uh, but that's the part of it that I absolutely love, man. Absolutely. And you're probably antsy right now. I'm antsy for you. They've been out since October. Yeah, I'm antsy. I'm definitely going to, like I'll be out there with my daughter. I'll, she'll be, I'll be trying to get her a turkey, but in the back of the mind, I'm like, all right, 
They stop gobbling. Let's go get these trail cameras and, and then head back to the house, feed her, and uh, I'll be looking through some trail camera pics. So stand by. Maybe something big shows up. <laughs> well, Josh, man, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to, uh, to do this. Good luck with your new venture as a land management specialist and uh, cutting hair as well. And, uh, man, we will, uh, we will talk to you when we talk to you. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, man. Huge shout out to all of you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on and download and listen to all of the Nine Finger Chronicles episodes. Please share with a friend. Get the word out more. Um, I know I'm not the biggest, but I feel like I'm one of the best. And I really would like you to share all of this content with uh, your hunting buddies and uh, let them know about the information and the entertainment that they can get out of this podcast. Huge shout out to Josh uh, for taking time out of his day to hop on and uh, talk to us about his hunting strategy. Uh, Last but not least, man, huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, and Hunt Stand. Man, we really appreciate here at the Nine Finger Chronicles, or I should say I, really appreciate the the brands that I work with. Uh, Please go out and support these brands. They are the check writers, right? Let's be honest. They write the checks. I get to do this for a living. I get to give you guys this free badass content on on not only uh, you know iTunes and Spotify, but on YouTube now as well. We've been recording all of our episodes, and we've been playing them on uh, on uh, YouTube as well. So go check it out there if you if you want to actually watch the interview go down. Other than that, man, it's all about the good vibes, right? So it's good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time.